Good morning, and thanks for joining us here at Sugar Hill Church online on this beautiful Resurrection Sunday. From my house to all of yours, Jenny and I want to say we love you, and we're so grateful that you're spending your Easter morning with us. Like you, I woke up this morning and thought, this is a different kind of Easter, isn't it? It's not like we're going to get on our Sunday best and we're going to have a big breakfast and then head out to church and fight the crowd and then have a big lunch. But we, we will gather together, won't we? And we'll gather together today, right now, to celebrate our risen Lord. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Today, I can only imagine what it would have been like when I showed up at the tomb like Mary did. I, I can only fathom what it would be like to have known that just a couple of days ago, my Savior, my Lord, he had been crucified and I played a part in helping bury him. I know he was dead. I can only imagine Mary as she showed up and she saw that massive stone had been turned and rolled away. How could that possibly happen? It was massive, but there it was, big as life rolled away and gone. That wasn't all that was gone. The body of my Lord was gone. So I come walking out like Mary would do and I look around and I see someone that I'm sure is the gardener and I say, hey, hello. And he turns around and he calls me by name and he says, Mary. And instantaneously I realize that's my savior. That's my Lord. I think you and I would do what she did. I pray I would do what she did. She fell to her knees at his feet and she worshiped him. Today, all of Easter, all of this celebration, all that this is about, is about this one beautiful truth. Jesus is alive. He has risen, he has risen indeed. Let us fall to our knees at his feet and worship him today. So it's Easter morning, resurrection day. We know that Jesus has risen from the dead. And now two of his disciples are making their way away from Jerusalem, headed down to a city by the name of Emmaus. Now, it's a know-nothing town with nothing important to go to. It was just headed toward their home. Now, one fella that was on the walk, his name is Cleopas. We think the other one was probably his wife, but we're not for sure. But we know in the text that these things happened in Luke chapter 24. Listen to what the Bible has to say. Now, that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together, they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, I love this part. He says, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? I mean, how fascinating is that? They're talking about all of the events that has happened to him and now he's joined them on this walk. And they stopped walking and they looked discouraged. I don't know about you, but I've seen a lot of discouraged people over the past couple of weeks. This whole coronavirus has got our world turned upside down. I, I bet that's how they felt. Their entire world, they had placed all their faith, all their trust, all their hope 
into Jesus. And now they've seen him crucified. They've seen him buried. And now they've heard from other people that he's not in that tomb anymore. Well, you can imagine when Jesus is hearing this, he steps in and is like, what are y'all talking about? And the answer that they have is discouragement. I mean, everything that they counted on is now a loss. Everything they put their hope in is gone. Naturally, they were discouraged. I mean, their 401k was gone, their job was gone, their pantry was empty, there was no hope. I mean, where would they go? What would they do? It's a familiar cry, isn't it? But then Jesus comes along like he always does, and he steps in. And what I love about our Lord is he wants to have a conversation. Isn't it funny? Jesus doesn't come along and say, hey, you are so busted because you are discouraged. He came along and knew they were discouraged, and he came to walk with them and to talk with them along life's narrow way. And then in verse 18, the one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? Now watch this. Jesus says, what things? As if it's just the most casual conversation in the world. Like, what rock? What pole? What hole? What things? I think I would have gone crazy like they did. So they said to them, the things concerning Jesus, the Nazarene. <laughs> so in other words, everything about it himself. So they really don't have a clue. But here are the three of them walking toward Emmaus. And listen to what happens. They said, he was a prophet, powerful in action and speech, before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Don't, don't lose sight of that. They had placed a great deal of hope on Jesus the Lord. But what they wanted and what they imagined was Jesus basically becoming a military leader that would run off the Romans, that would break the chains of the oppression that the Romans had placed on the Jewish people. And so when they saw their hope had died, there was no more. They, they were just blank. There was nothing left. They were completely washed out in discouragement and frustration. Look what happens though. Everything turns a little bit when they say, but we were hoping that he was the one. In verse 22, it says, moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those, watch this, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. So naturally, they had gone on a hunt. Is it possible that what these women said was true? I mean, some of my guys, they ran back and they saw now, I don't, I don't know that I'll ever understand how they didn't know it was Jesus. I suppose it's possible that uh, one of the apostles had been preaching and teaching and some had come to faith, but they never seen Jesus up close. 
It could have been that the only time they saw him was after he'd been beaten and, and brutally beaten over and spat upon and scourged. Or it could have been that Jesus literally had just veiled himself from them. But for whatever reason, they're giving this rundown to Jesus about what happened and what had possibly happened, I guess. That's how I think they saw it was possibly happened. But listen to verse 23. And when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they'd seen a vision of angels. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said. And then in verse 25, Jesus says to them, How unwise and how slow you are to believe in your hearts all that the prophets had spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And Jesus is walking along with Cleopas and the other disciple. And he says, let me tell you what the scriptures have to say. This had to have been the single greatest small group study on the planet. Jesus himself starts at creation and goes all the way through his glorious resurrection and as he does that, he is unpacking for them the hope that they were looking for. In his own present teaching, I, I can't imagine really what it would be like if I were walking through Sugar Hill or here in Flowery Branch right now and Jesus decided to walk personally beside me. But don't you think that every now and then you would have stopped and looked at him and said, what do you think we ought to do about this? Or what might we do about that? What's beautiful about this is that Jesus takes all of the scriptures, going all the way back to Genesis 1-1, and makes one massive point that I think is the entire point of Easter. And that is this beautiful story. Everything in scripture from creation on points us to Jesus. You say, well, Chuck, how do I know that? Well, Jesus began to teach them the story that mattered most. And the story that mattered most began when God created the heavens and the earth, and it's still underway. Jesus entered into our story. The scriptures are filled with it. I, I just looked through all of the text, and I'm wondering to myself, is there a point in which Jesus is done with the story? And the thing is, no. He's still writing your story. He's still telling his story. And he invites you in to tell the story as well. Listen to verse 32. So they said to each other, weren't our hearts ablaze within us? Why would they do that? Because they sat down when they'd gotten to Emmaus. And Jesus said, I'll just go on. And he said, no, 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 come on. Stay with us, eat with us. You know, I've discovered that a lot of what Jesus has done in the world has been done around food. So he sat down and he broke the bread and he blessed the bread and instantaneously they saw that's Jesus. They knew it. Their hope had indeed been restored. Everything they thought they had lost, they had now gained. Everything that they'd hoped for now was a reality. And honestly, they looked and said to each other, when Jesus left like that, and they couldn't understand where he had gone, but why he had been there was crystal clear to teach them all these things. Friend, listen, all these things points to this one beautiful truth. In verse 34, the Lord has certainly been raised and has appeared. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road 
and how he has made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Friend, Jesus is alive. He is risen. He is risen indeed. There is absolutely powerful reasoning, powerful history, powerful truth for us to claim that Jesus is the risen Savior. That was an empty tomb. I've been in it. It's still empty. But Jesus walks along with you today, friend, to restore your hope, to give you faith. And he says to you, go to work in this. And when you do, you'll find Jesus. You'll find him because of everything that you might be struggling with, every bit of anxiety that you might be dealing with, every fear that you might have. Jesus comes along and walks beside you, just like he did on the road to Emmaus, and says, let me tell you all about me. And in me, you will find every answer to all of life's questions. And you don't have to fear anymore because I've come to take all that fear from you. I would love to share a new song with you this morning that's been really meaningful for me over this last stretch, this last season that we've been walking through. And God is doing something even in the midst of this season. Throughout this Easter week, we've gotten to reflect in prayer. We've gotten to experience communion together. We've reflected on one of the darkest nights or darkest moments that we could ever imagine that Jesus crucified this this Savior, this Messiah that was with his people then crucified. But this morning we celebrate hope. We celebrate resurrection life. We celebrate the fact that even though he went into that grave, he didn't stay in the grave, that three days later the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. And we celebrate that today because of the goodness of God. So this song talks about allowing hope to arise and letting that be this this groundswell of hope and revival in the people of God to remember that he's faithful and that he's good and that he has conquered death in the grave. We've seen what he can do and we trust in him alone. This is a song called God of Revival. God of wonders, your power has no end. The things you've done before in greater measure, you will do again. There's no prison wall you can't break through, no mountain you can't move. All Things are possible. There's no broken body you can't raise, no soul that you can't save. All things are possible. Oh, the darkest night, you can light it up. You can light it up.
chosen victory And now you see it Forever on your throne yeah. So why should my heart fear What you've defeated I will trust in you possible There's no broken body you can raise No soul that you can save All things are possible Oh, the darkest night You can light it up You can light it up our prayer even during this season we're asking the Lord to come awake in us a spirit of revival come awaken your people come awaken your city God of revival pour it out pour it out every stronghold will crumble I hear the chains hit the ground God of revival, pour it out, pour it out. Come awaken your people, come awaken your city. Oh God of revival, pour it out, pour it out. Every stronghold will crumble. I hear the chains hit the ground. Oh God of revival. Welcome back. You know, the, the story we just talked about on the road to Emmaus found Cleopas and probably his wife on a seven mile walk with Jesus and they were looking for hope. They'd lost all their hope. They'd lost everything they thought that they could to secure their life to. And he was gone, but then there he was because he had never left them. There he was. And there he was walking with them and they didn't even notice him. But you know what happened there? 
Jesus gave them hope. In this story, in Mark chapter 4, we find now the disciples are the ones in trouble. They get in a boat and they're sailing across the Sea of Galilee with Jesus when a storm comes up and the storm is literally about to drown them and they are scared to death. They need peace. Now the, the walkers to Emmaus, they needed hope. These folks needed peace. Here's what I know about you and about me. I need hope and I need peace. And in the middle of coronavirus and everything going on, you can't beat those two, hope and peace. And both are found in the presence and the power of Jesus himself. Let's take a look at Mark chapter four. Now, the disciples are getting in a boat and Jesus goes with them. And they head across the, the area of the Sea of Galilee that they've been on a thousand times. But if you've ever been on the Sea of Galilee, there, it's surrounded by hills. And I've been out on that oversized lake where the wind would come over the top of that hill and literally start white caps just like that. Well, there they go. Listen to what Mark says in chapter four, beginning in verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was already in the boat and other boats were with him. A fierce windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Okay, I don't know about you, but if I'm in the front of a Jesus boat, which is probably about 21 feet long and probably no more than about eight feet wide, and you're out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and it's evening, and a windstorm has come up, and I went from things that were crystal clear as glass to white caps like that. I'm a little afraid. I can tell you one thing, I would not be in Jesus's seat asleep on the cushion. I, I would be like the disciples, I would be scared to death. It reminds me of a story. I, I was a little boy, I was probably about nine or 10 years old. And every April, me and my dad and my grandpa we would go to a place called Santee, South Carolina to fish for striped bass. And it was amazing how many fish we would catch. But this one day, a cold front had blown in and we were in my uh, pop's old boat. And it was just a low fishing boat. Had a little 25 horsepower Johnson on the back and a wind had come up in that shallow water lake and white caps had come up and they literally were swamping the boat. I remember my dad saying to lay down and to grab one of those life preservers and put it on. And there I did as a little boy, I laid down, I put that big old orange life preserver on. And as I did, I thought to myself, I think this boat is going down. Now as a nine or 10 year old boy, I was scared to death. I mean, I was scared to death. I, I bet that's how these guys felt, scared to death. Like, scared to death to the point of what are we gonna do? We don't know what to do. Everything is out of sorts. So they did what they knew how to do. Look at what happened. So they woke him up and said to him, teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? I mean, come on, there's some humor in there somewhere. I mean, Jesus is asleep in the boat with you. And I'm thinking to myself, as a nine or 10 year old kid, had I known Jesus was in the boat with me, I probably wouldn't have been as freaked out. 
But then again, I've learned as an adult, he was right there with me no matter what. Well, the text goes on and listen to what happens. Jesus says in verse 39, silence, be still. I mean, he stood up in that boat. The waves were crashing. The lightning was flashing. The wind was howling. Water was lapping over the boat. And Jesus stands up and says, peace, be still. And all of creation heard him and all of creation responded to him. Come on, that's crazy. You say, well, Chuck, what does that have to do with me and coronavirus? And I don't have a job and I don't have food and I don't have anything left. What, what does that have to do with me? Well, the fact is, friend, Jesus is in the boat with you. No matter what boat you're in, he's in the boat with you. As a matter of fact, the scriptures give us an unbelievable picture that he'll never leave us, he will never forsake us, and there's no place you can go, no matter how bad it may be, that he is not there with you. So with Jesus in the boat with you, I want to encourage you, no matter what is going on in your life this Easter, ask Jesus to step in and calm the storm of your life. I'll never forget, I had just preached my first wife's funeral. And uh, I'd gone in to take my suit off, and I was in my closet, changing into just a shorts and t-shirt. I was exhausted, and probably the first time I'd been alone for a while. And I remember just feeling the weight of everything on me, and I just crumbled. I just kind of fell apart. But as crystal clear as you could imagine, I heard Jesus say to me, Chuck, peace be still. I look back all these years now and I see how the Lord meant it then and he means it now. I've been through so many things since then and times in which I thought, you know what, I'll never get out of this boat, but yet there he was with me. Seasons in which I thought, Lord, how could you be asleep? Look at what's going on in my life. But there he was with me. I, I believe if Jesus were to get in the same boat with us literally today, if Jesus were to literally walk beside us today, I, I bet we would say things like, oh, come on, really? I mean, nobody's like that, really. And Jesus would say, peace, be still. If the wind and the waves still hear him, why not us? If the wind and the waves can find peace in his voice, my friend, how much more so can we find peace found in Christ and Christ alone? So whatever it is that you're facing, whatever the battles are, whatever the downturn is, whatever coronavirus has done to you, here's what I know. Jesus is in that boat with you and he can stand up and cause all of this mess to be still on your behalf. And he'll do it for this one reason. He loves you. You say, well, Chuck, you know what? I don't feel like God loves me. I promise you, there's nothing you can do to make him not love you. And Jesus wants to step into your boat, into your mess, into your storm, and he wants to say, peace be still on your behalf. My friend, there's nothing like having the creator of the universe say, peace be still for you. This is the greatest news ever. This is the story of Easter, that Jesus steps into our story and says to the whole world, including creation, I bring you peace. Take it, it's yours. So friend, if you're looking for some peace today, Jesus is in your boat, no matter how swamped it may feel. He's in the boat with you and says, just call on my name. You say, well, man, Chuck, I don't know how to call on Jesus' name. I don't talk God talk like you guys do. He doesn't need you to. 
All he asks you to do is call on his name. And it sounds like this, Jesus, step into my life and forgive me. Thank you for stepping into the boat and bringing peace into my life, into my soul. Jesus, I, I want you to forgive me of my sinfulness and my selfishness. And Jesus, I want to thank you for dying for me and raising from the dead for me. Jesus, make me a new person. I want to turn my life around. I want to live for you. Friend, if that's your prayer on this Resurrection Sunday, Jesus has just brought peace to you. And you are as sure for heaven as those disciples are. And you know what will be wonderful? The next storm that comes, and they will come, you'll know that he is your peace. And he's in the boat with you, no matter where you're at. What a beautiful way for us to end our service today with this sweet old hymn. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Yes, Jesus paid it all. stain he washed it white as snow he washed it white as snow he washed it white as snow I see this today before you leave us let that Jesus that's in the boat with you that stills the storm for you even today let him go before you and make a way and make your crooked path straight let him go within you and bring you peace and joy fulfillment and contentment because he is always good and you are always loved and when days are difficult when it seems like there's no way out and the storm has literally got you scared to death hop on his back and let him carry you not around the storm but through the middle of it only to set you down victoriously on your two feet and wipe away your tears and kiss you on the forehead and wrap his loving arms around you so you can hear your Savior say, my child, say it with me, I love you. Happy Easter, friend. 
Resurrection Sunday is here. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Go in peace.